Hello and welcome to the podcast from Holy Trinity Westerhales. We are delighted that you've joined us for this week's podcast and pray that you would be blessed through it. Well, we're turning to God's Word. We're in uh, Hebrews 11. And uh, as we turn to that, let's ask for God's help. We need His help, don't we, uh, in the Word of God. So, Father, Your Word is so precious uh, on some things, just so clear plain, straight to the point. On other things, Lord, we need to really search its depths. But in both situations, we need your Holy Spirit to illuminate minds and hearts. And Lord, would you open our ears to hear what you would have to say to us today. May we receive help from your word. And you're the helper, Holy Spirit. And so may the speaker decrease so that Jesus Christ of Nazareth would increase, for we ask it in his holy name. Amen. So um, Hebrews 11 is sometimes called uh, the chapter on the, the heroes of the faith. And uh, if there's one thing I got told uh, when I was younger was never meet your heroes. Have you ever been told that? Never meet your heroes. I think the idea is if you were to actually meet your heroes, uh, or he, meet even one of your heroes, they wouldn't quite match up to the picture that you had in your head. Almost definitely, they would disappoint you. And maybe somebody in here has a story of actually meeting someone that had always been a, a hero to them. And when you actually met them, it turned out that they were a lot like you in the end, <laughs> that they were a curious mixture of good and bad that they were capable of great acts of heroism on at one moment. And then in the next moment, they could do these incredible uh, acts of cowardice. And both were all mixed up in this person who to you was a hero. And when we come to the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, we actually do get to meet them. We get to meet them in the pages of Scripture and we get to meet them warts and all. I've always uh, thought that it was a wee bit of an underrated quality of the Bible in comparison to any other religious text of any other religion that the Bible is unique in this, that it is fiercely realistic and graphic in the way it depicts its followers. It does not put a shiny gloss on it. It tells you about real people. And we get to meet three of them this morning. We get to meet Noah and Abraham and Sarah. So we're going to turn to verse 7, and we're just going to go through this uh, passage, and we'll see there. Verse 7 in uh, Hebrews 11, and we read this. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now, Noah was known as righteous Noah. And you know the Sunday school story, don't you? You know that uh, God had looked down on the earth and he saw that there was just wickedness. And God had deci decided to rain down judgment upon the earth. But Noah was found righteous in God's eyes. And so, Noah uh, so God spoke to Noah and God, and God said to him, I want you to build a boat. I want you to build a boat because it's going to start raining, and I'm going to flood the earth. And I want you to rescue uh, you and your family. 
And um, everyone's looking at Noah, faithful Noah, because he starts building the boat. And they're looking at him and they're thinking, this man is crazy. He's building a boat in the middle of the desert. What is he doing? And it might be even more crazy because at that time, it's possible, according to the scriptures, that nobody had even seen rain. Uh, at the beginning of Genesis, in Genesis 2, it speaks about the, the, the sort of conditions on the earth where the, there were fountains, mists that would rise up out of the earth and water the, the, the land. So it's quite possible that Noah and the people around him and the people he spoke to had never seen rain. And they'd certainly never seen a flood. I think that's why it says in verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen. Nobody had even seen this. And so when Noah tells them it's going to rain, they're like, what's rain? <laughs> and it's going to flood. What's a flood? But Noah is faithful to God. He builds the boat. They go into the boat. He's getting laughed at. He's getting mocked. A long time has gone by, but God is true to his promise, and he sends the rain, and he sends the floods, and Noah is saved in the boat, and when the waters recede, and Noah is vindicated, Noah triumphantly goes out of that boat, and he gets onto dry land, and then he gets drunk and gets very naked. I don't know if it's in that's in your children's versions of Noah's story, but it's in the Bible's version. Who knew that Noah, righteous Noah, had a, had a problem with alcohol? Righteous Noah, who's a flood survivor. Righteous Noah, who seems to have done the right thing all his life. And after he's done the right thing, and after God has shown Noah, you were right, and you listened to me, he then gets drunk and then gets naked. I don't know if you've ever been really faithful and courageous for God, and you've taken a stand for God in your life, and people laughed at you because you stood up for him, and you did that, and you know it was courageous, and you know God was pleased with you when you did that, but very soon after you did that, you then went and did something very foolish and very sinful, and you thought, how can this be true about me, both these things? But it was true about Noah. We then meet Abraham, verse 8, by faith. Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God." Abraham, he gets to be called Father Abraham. He is the father of the righteousness that comes through faith alone. And God speaks to him in the most incredible promise that must have seemed so crazy. He, sa he says, uh, Abraham, I want you to up sticks and I want you to go to the land that I'll show you. And God doesn't tell him what direction to go in. And God doesn't even tell him where he's going. <laughs> And Abraham, faithful Abraham, 
says, okay. And he's a rich man by all accounts. And so he has to leave all his home comforts and he has to become a traveler. He has to become a nomad. He has to wander. And he becomes this wanderer because God has spoken and he's fiercely faithful to God. Fiercely faithful. Well, except that time when he meets Pharaoh. And Pharaoh takes a shine to his wife, Sarah. And like a coward, Abraham pretends that his wife, Sarah, is his sister. And if that's not bad enough, a while later they meet another king, King Abimelech, king of Shechem. And the king of Shechem also takes a shine to his wife, Sarah. I mean, how beautiful must she have been? She attracts the attention of two kings, a pharaoh and a king. And she's 60 at this age, at that time, 60 years old. And Abraham realizes Abimelech has taken a shine to Sarah. And so he decides to do the same thing. He goes and tells him that, oh, it's, she's my sister in order to spare his own life. Because in those days, a king could, if he fancied a wife, just take, just take and nothing Abraham could have done about it. And even though he knew the first deceit had resulted in God having to intervene, forcing God's hand in sending a plague on Pharaoh, he does the same thing again. Faithful Abraham. I don't know if you're the sort of person who's been very faithful to God. So faithful to God. It's just in you that you're going to take your stand for Jesus and, and his kingdom. But at the same time, you have been less than faithful when it comes to your family and to your commitments. Because that's the curious mix we find in Abraham, the father of the righteousness that is by faith. And then we meet our final character, Sarah. Verse 11, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Now, Sarah, according to the New Testament, 1 Peter 3.16, I think it is, um, or is it 3.6? Um, it, uh, it tells us that Sarah is the model wife. <laughs> Apparently, according to Peter, she is the model wife. And of course, Sarah, when Abraham tells her, God's told us that we're going to have to move and we're going to have to just camp in tents and move around. And so Sarah says, okay, if God has said this, I'll follow you wherever you will go. And so faithful Sarah goes with Abraham and they find themselves uh, camping. And she also even believes the promise that Abraham says, oh, and by the way, we are going to have descendants, children, that are going to outnumber the sand on the seashore or the stars we can see in the sky. And Sarah, by faith, says, yeah, okay, I'm going to believe that. Even though that seems impossible, I'm going to believe that. But the trouble was, the years went by and the decades went by. And that 
promise seemed further and further in the distance and even more and more impossible. And so Sarah does what many people down through the ages have decided to do. She decides, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to help God along the way with his promise. Don't do that. <laughs> if God's promised you something, it doesn't mean you, you, don't, you don't go for it. But you will never, ever, ever required, be required to sin in order to receive a promise of God, ever. Because this is the plan that Sarah hatches. She thinks, well, I'm barren. I can't have children. I'm too old now. God's finished with me. And she goes to her husband, Abraham, and she says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm giving you permission to go and sleep with one of our servant girls. And you'll get her pregnant and we'll continue the family line. And if you've read your Bible, you'll know it was disastrous. You'll know it was like a horror story. <coughs> it's always a horror story when we take matters into our own hands when God has promised and we sin to get in order to get that promise. It leads to tremendous problems. And it did in Sarah and Abraham's family and for, particularly for Hagar. How does Sarah get in the... In, this, in the hall of faith, in these heroes of the faith. Well, God's calling and God's promise is irrevocable in this particular case. And so he comes himself in Genesis 18 in the, in, in the form of three men. God comes in the form of three men and they come to visit Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah's out in the back tent and she prepares, preparing some food for them. But she's listening into the conversation, and the three men say, Where, where's your wife, Sarah? And Abraham obviously doesn't bother to bring her out, but she's listening. And they say, this time next year, Sarah is going to have a child. And do you remember what Sarah does? She laughs. I'm 90 years old. <laughs> 90. Abraham is over 100. And this time next year, we're going to have, she laughs that laugh of incredulity. This is impossible. And the three men, whom God come in human form, says what to Abraham, why, why did your wife laugh when we said that? And Sarah turns up and says, I did, oh, I didn't laugh. She lies. It tells us she lies. And she said, I didn't laugh. And they went, and the Lord says, no, you did. <laughs> Nevertheless, I'm going to come back this time next year, and you're going to have a child. How does Sarah get into the hall of faith? Because it doesn't sound a great story about her or about Abraham or about Noah. Well, not to put too delicate a word on it, at 90 years old, she had to, at that moment, go and lie with her husband. And the Bible says he's as good as dead. Nothing works. And she has to go in Faith. And so we get this curious mix in the Bible of people who turn out to be just as messed up and just a contradiction and just as mixed up as, as we are. I read a testimony that I wanted to share with you um, this morning. It's a testimony of a, a lady called 
aan. It's a testimony that maybe maybe help someone in here who thinks, I've messed up too much for God to receive me. I doubt too much for God to receive me. You see, the curious thing about faith is it's faith is not always yes or no. Sometimes we can think, I'm either faithless or I'm faithful. I'm either trusting God or I'm not trusting God. But faith doesn't work quite like that. Faith works in real people like you and me. Faith works in real human beings who've messed up, who are a mix of contradictions. People who are flawed, people who are sinful. And sometimes we demonstrate great faith. Sometimes it's faith as small as a mustard seed. It's probably mixed up with a little bit of doubt in there, just like Sarah, just like Abraham, just like Noah. In fact, the early church fathers, they often emphasize the fact that real faith often was in the seedbed of doubt. It was only at the moment when you would, you would receive a promise from God and have that moment of how is that possible that you really experience that, that actually the mustard seed of faith can grow in the midst of that. That it's that moment when we go, like Noah, we go, how and why would God save me and not these other people? How is it possible that God would want to save a person like me? But by faith, I'm going to believe that God does want to save a person like me. And I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm going to put my faith in God. Or you're going to say, faith, of, I've got no idea, God, how you're going to use me. I don't, know, I don't know how you're going to fulfill your promise that you want to use me in your kingdom. That seems impossible, somebody like me, to be used by God. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in you, even in the midst of my doubts as well. Because in the doubt, that's the seedbed of real faith when you've really felt, God, you can't save a person like me. And God, you would never choose me. And God, you would never use me. And then faith starts to grow the mustard seed. And it's messy faith. And messy faith is real faith. And so I want to tell you this testimony um, about this lady called Anne. And she talks about messy faith. Um, things were not going well in her life. She was addicted to cocaine and alcohol. She was involved in a, an affair that produced a child whom she aborted while helplessly watching her best friend dying of cancer. She'd been periodically visiting a small church, and she'd sit in the back and listen to the singing and then leave before the sermon. And in the week before her abortion, she spiraled downhill. Disgusted with herself, she drowned her sorrows in alcohol and drugs. She'd been bleeding for many hours from the abortion, and finally, she fell into bed, shaky and sad. She lit a cigarette, and she turned off the light. And this is what she said happened. After a while, as I lay there, I became aware of someone with me hunkered down in the corner, and I just assumed it was my father whose presence I'd felt over the years when I was frightened and alone. The feeling was so strong that I actually turned on the light for a moment to make sure no one was there. Of course there wasn't. But after a while in the dark again, I knew beyond any doubt it was Jesus. 
I felt him as surely as I feel my dog lying nearby as I write this, and I was appalled. I thought about what everyone would think of me if I became a Christian, and it seemed an utterly impossible thing that could simply not be allowed to happen. I turned to the wall, and I said out loud, I would rather die. I felt him just sitting there on his haunches in the corner of my sleeping loft, watching me with patience and love, and I squinted my eyes shut, but that didn't help because that's not what I was seeing him with. Finally, I fell asleep, and in the morning, he was gone. This experience spooked me badly, but I thought it was just an apparition born of fear and self-loathing and booze and loss of blood. But then everywhere I went, I had a feeling that a little cat was following me, wanting me to reach down and pick it up, wanting me to open the door and let it in. But I knew what would happen if you let in a cat just one time and give it a little milk, and then it stays forever. And one week later, when I went back to church, I was so hungover that I couldn't stand up for the songs. And this time, I stayed for the sermon, which I just thought was so ridiculous, like someone trying to convince me of the existence of extraterrestrials. But the last song was so deep and raw and pure that I could not escape. It was as if the people were singing in, their, in between the notes, weeping and joyful at the same time, and I felt like their voices or something was rocking me and in its bosom holding me like a scared kid. And I opened up to that feeling and it washed over me. And I began to cry and I left before the benediction and I raced home and I felt the little cat running along at my heels as I walked down the dock past dozens of potted flowers under a sky as blue as, the one, as one of God's own dreams. And I opened the door to my houseboat and I stood there a minute and then I hung my head and I said, I quit. And I took a long, deep breath and I said, out loud, all right, you can come in. So this was my beautiful moment of conversion. I started with the thought that never meet your heroes, but I've got to be honest, I'm really glad we get to meet the heroes of the faith in the pages of scripture. But I also want to tell you, not only do we get to meet our heroes in the pages of scripture, we also will get to meet them one day. Verse 13, all these people, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and others, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. All these people were living by faith when they died. Now, haven't we just heard about their stories? One moment, great faith. Next minute, they are completely faithless. 
So what links them? The Bible tells us they were all living by faith when they died. Because it turns out faith is not something you just did in the past. Faith is active. Faith is something we do every day, putting our trust in the Lord Jesus. And maybe one day it's great faith and we are just so pure and certain in God and in his promises. And it's wonderful when you're in that moment. But then other days, you just feel so faithless. But here's what true faith does. At the end of the day, true faith brings us back to the Savior, back to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. True faith always brings us back to God. And that's what was for Noah, and that's what it was for uh, Abraham, that's what it was for Sarah. All these people died living by faith, always coming back. If you feel you're far away, it's time to come back. True faith leads you back to the Savior, Jesus. You see, they, they couldn't receive all that God had promised in this life. How could they? This life is so short, and God has designed us for eternity. He's placed eternity within our hearts. And this longing that we have within our hearts for something eternal, something that, go, that must be more than this life, is not some vain hope. It's something that is certain and, and true. And what actually that Noah and Abraham and Sarah could only receive from a distance, it says. They could only see it in the distance. We actually have sure and certain in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you're able to say through faith in him, if you'll come to Jesus, you get, you get included in the hall of faith. All those will be redeemed one day. If you will put your faith in Jesus and in what he's done, and you'll be able to say, I shall go there to dwell in that city I know since Jesus came into my heart, just as Anne invited Jesus in, even though she was terrified and knew inviting Jesus in would be like inviting a cat to stay at your house. He wasn't going to go anywhere. He's staying, and he's staying for good. And if you've invited Jesus in, Jesus has come, and he's come to stay for good. And he's inviting you, even when we get a bit lost, to say, put your trust in me, put your faith in me, so that even to the very end of our lives, we die with our faith in Jesus Christ. We die with our faith in God. Jesus made an amazing promise. You, you trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms and I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. I'm coming back to take you back there because Jesus has gone into heaven through his death and his resurrection and his ascension back into heaven. And he says, I'm preparing a place for you. I'm coming back for you, for all who will put their trust in me, for all who will put their faith in me, like Noah, like Abraham, like Sarah, like you, like me. We put our faith in him, flawed as our faith is. Oh, how I wish it was more like, and you'll look at someone else here and you go, I wish I had a faith like this. <laughs> They're all as flawed as you. They're all, all in the same boat. Even the great heroes of the faith all had their flaws. And I'm not here to excuse their flaws. I'm here to tell you, you too can get included when you put your faith in Jesus, will you do that? Will you do that?
no matter what a mess you've got yourself in, no matter what a mess just as Anne got herself in. And thought there was no way, no way God had any interest in her. No way God wanted to include her in the list. Maybe you thought, no way God can, wants to include me in the Lamb's Book of Life in the list. He does. He does. He loves you. Put your faith in him. Go to Jesus. Do what he asks you to do. Don't run. Don't stay in the place of unbelief. Don't stay there. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Father, my prayer is that today someone who thought they couldn't be included, they'd never be accepted, too much mess or deceit or lies or tragedy in their lives, too many shameful things, But you came, Lord Jesus, from heaven to earth for such as that. And you invite us all to put our faith in you. And though we can't receive all of the promise right now, because only together with the likes of Abraham and Noah and Sarah, only with them can we receive the fullness of that promise in glory. Right now, we can know your promise that anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. I'll never turn them away. Help us to put, whether it's great faith or a mustard seed, help us to put our faith in the right place, in Jesus, and what he has done, what he's accomplished, what he's done for people who've messed up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we live by faith. Lord, may it be true of every single person in here that they'll all die by faith as well. May all of us be living by faith when our time here on earth, it's only a short time, comes to an end. And thank you that when we put our faith in you, life does not end there, but goes on into eternity. And Lord Jesus, we're excited that you're preparing a place for us away from all the hurt and the pain and the suffering and the disease and the struggle and the sin. And until that day, Lord, help us to trust you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.